Alrighty, so Paul, who was Saul, said this. He said in verse 12, For I neither received it, the gospel, from man, nor was I taught it, the gospel, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, he writes his testimony to say, to reveal, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him. And we're going to look at that next week, what it means to preach him. So what Paul received, the person, he spoke. So unless you're receiving the person, you've got nothing to say, really, because you've got to speak the one you receive. Okay? People don't need to hear what you think the truth is. They need to hear the person. So we're to release the manifold wisdom of God, which is the person into the earth. So when we share, we're to release the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ we have, and that's a fragrance. Some love it, some hate it. That's why you're hated for him, love for him, because what you bring is him. Okay, And so this is essential, and this is such a massive part, and I'm going to unpack next week why the other one of preaching the person, not scriptures, and the difference between the two, so you can discern whether you're hearing him or just scriptures. Scriptures won't build you. Jesus Christ builds you. So this is essential, so we want to unpack this, because truth is self-evident, and truth is a person. So when Paul received Christ, he received him as Lord. His life is the evidence of that. He instantly received lordship and as a bonus got saved. How have you received them? Your life will be telling you. So he received Jesus Christ as Lord, the way the scriptures say. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. So when he received him as Lord, he got Savior. Do you know you can receive him as Savior and not get Lord? So he saves you, but you're not living a life of lordship, which is a life of what? Obedience. To live a life of lordship is to live a life obedient to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is Lord. So we have to know who we're receiving and the power of who we're receiving because Jesus is Lord and Savior. And a saved life, we only receive him as Savior, doesn't produce a life that's of lordship. Lordship produces a life of lordship. And without lordship, we actually won't be able to live a life under lordship. And what you're seeing in Paul is a man who received him as Lord and lived a life of lordship. Saul was not living that, was he? So we've talked about two men, or sorry, one man, two lives. So what you're seeing in Paul is a man who was under the lordship of Christ, who was saved by Christ, but knew Christ as Lord. And when he's Lord, you're not. So if he's not Lord, who is? And if you're Lord of your own life, there ain't too much life in that, is there? Even though you're saved. So we want to unpack this a little bit. And what I'm going to do, just before I ask these guys questions, I'm going to read the scriptures, and I've added two that are in the booklet. And if you want, just close your eyes so you can hear these words because there's so many keys in the scriptures that I'm about to read out. And once again, the the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this is John 11, verse 25. These are the words of Christ. Jesus said to Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So when Paul received Christ, what did he receive? The resurrection and the life. He received Christ, the life. So he received instantly the resurrected life. He went from death to life when he received Christ. He goes from being old to new. There's not this in-between bit that we create. He goes from one to the other instantly and then lives his life from that place because he received the resurrection and the life, which Jesus said, I am. He received the person. So the person is telling you, I am the resurrection and the life. If you receive me, you receive resurrected life straight away. Cool. Paul then testified to this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So when he received Christ, he got crucified. All at the same time, he got resurrected. I've been crucified. I have been. I'm not getting. I have been crucified because I received the resurrected life. And it is no longer I who live. So right there, he's telling you it's no longer old guy living. It's new, brand new guy living. But Christ lives where? Who lives in me? The resurrected life lives in me, which I'm now living. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one I received, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What about John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Once again, that's not a process to the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. So Jesus is saying, I am the resurrected life. I am the way, life, and truth. If you know me, you're in this life. You'll know my Father, you'll know me because me and the Father are one. So we've taught it's a process to the Father. It's not what Jesus is saying because directly under that, he says to Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you look at me, you've known the Father. And Philip said, who are you? Show us the Father. It has nothing to do with a process to get to eternity because they are one standing right in front of you. It is the ability and the willingness to receive the one as resurrection and the life so you and I know what it is to be resurrected from death to life. You'll know the Father, you'll know Jesus because they are one. There's no such thing as I'm getting to know the Father because I know Jesus or I know Jesus and I know the Father, the Spirit. That's all rubbish that we come up with because they are one of the same kind. This is what the gospel does. See, the gospel brings you into oneness. It doesn't have you in two-ness or three-ness. What about John 1, 1 to 4? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Greg, born in sin and iniquity, transgression, and in death. That's how I started. How did you start? The same way. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing has come into being apart from Him. You are not here because of you. So don't start looking internally, looking for answers, because you didn't even exist. If you haven't created you, there's no life to be found within you. In Him was life, 
In Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. So we're only the light of the world to the measure Christ is within us because he is the life that's to be in us, and he's the light. So that's a bit of an issue, isn't it? If we don't really know him, not going to be too much light in us. What about Colossians 1.18? He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning. The guys won't have this. The firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's all right. Mel just said that's lordship right there. He wants to have first place in everything, including you. Because he's the word, and in the beginning is him. Ooh, Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, not in us, but is our life, is revealed, then you also be, will, will be revealed with glory. So he wants to be our very life because he's our beginning, because he's our Lord. Because when we received him, we received a resurrected life instantly and started living a resurrected life. What about 1 Corinthians 1.24? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greece, Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you consider yourself called and chosen? What for? To live a life here on earth? Or to live for him? An eternal life? Because Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And Jesus wants to be in us. When you put all these scriptures together, you start seeing a pattern. A very clear pattern of where he is to be and how he is to live within us. And then what happens if that happens. And the last one is this in Colossians 2, 6-8. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the one you receive, walk in him. Not too much trying in that, is there? Not too much room for fleshly religion and religious effort. If you receive Lord as Christ, walk in him. They go hand in hand. It's not, I've got to now figure this out. They go hand in hand. He supplies everything we need for everything that we need to do, correct? You don't know? I hope you do because that's what he says. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness so there are no excuses for why we're not living this out. Because my son came, died, and then he entered into our hearts and minds through his power. If you've received the resurrected life, now live. If you haven't, then you need to. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. Who are we rooted and built up in? Him. And then established in your faith, which is to be in him which is full and overflowing. It's not this empty, vain imagination stuff. It's not blind faith. It's I'm looking at what I'm seeing, so I hit what I see because I have faith. Just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So people that are in this are overflowing with gratitude because of the life they're in. Listen to this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ himself. 
So God gives us everything we need. He puts his son in us through power so we would not be led astray from all those who have a persuasive words and talk, who sound right but aren't. And they might be covered, but they're not. What they say is their vain imagination because of their own intelligence of what they've learnt. He's warning us, don't be taken captive with things that sound like me, that are using my name, that aren't of me. They are empty, false words, puffed up as vain imagination, because man can do nothing eternal. It sort of keeps you bound to Christ, doesn't it? And looking at Christ and realizing I can never leave dependency on Christ. I can never become self-dependent. If I do, I'm in trouble. So the entire, those are like eight passages of scripture. We're talking about the entire scriptures testify to that reality to bring us to a place of lordship in him. Because that's what Paul received. That's why Paul writes. So when Paul received Christ, he received him as Lord and Savior. So he writes Lord and Savior, not Savior. And then I'll figure out what this Lordship business is. So the first question I have for these guys is this. (laughs) Mel just took a breath. (laughs) What's coming? (laughs) It's all right, I'll ask Sam. Um, Why is it essential... We are one to Christ first and not God's people, a vision, a purpose, a calling, a ministry, a gift, services, etc., etc. Why is it essential we are one to Him first? Sam. It's a good question. Um, morning, everyone. Um, why is it so essential we're one to Christ first? I think, to me, when I think about the things that follow, they're all good things, right? There's nothing negative or wrong about those things. But all of these things here, God's people, a vision, a purpose, a calling, a ministry, a gift, they are all supposed to lead to the person, you know? And so, to me, the things that were supposed to lead to a person, if they become the most important thing, that's when they become dangerous, you know? And Paul says that he's concerned that after having preached to others that he himself might be disqualified. I'm like, man, that's a pretty hardcore, shocking verse right there that the one who essentially wrote a lot of the New Testament, the one who was one of the most incredible preachers, he says, after having preached to others that I might sit my, myself might be disqualified? Why is that? Because the purpose of his preaching was not preaching. The purpose of his preaching was Christ. You know, and like Greg was sharing before, you know, Paul says that that he preaches Christ, you know. And, And to me, I'm like, man, Paul didn't preach a message. And does that mean that we're never to preach a message again? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and to me, it's like, what does it mean to be a preacher and never to preach a message? We're not to preach messages and we're not to share factually correct information about the Christ. We're, we're to know the Christ and we're to release the Christ. And so that's why Paul preaches him. And so that's why all of those things are all right and all good. Ministry is good. Preaching is good true coming together as the body and fellowship is good and right but it's all supposed to lead to the person of Christ 
And when you have the person, you actually engage in all of those things in a right and healthy way. And they don't distract you and they don't take away. And ministry doesn't become a thing in and of itself. It actually becomes a means to a much greater end, which is the person. And when all the people... When all the people who are engaged in ministry are there for the person, man, you've got the most incredible ministry on the face of the earth because it all of a sudden is pulsating with divine life because you're sharing in fellowship with the person that you know. You're not trying to desperately create and whip up something through natural human effort. You've actually entered into life. And so the form of ministry actually doesn't matter. 10,000 people in a room together, man, that, that could be an incredible ministry. Maybe, maybe not. It could be incredible if all the 10,000 people there know the person. Or it could be five people in a quiet room together and the very substance of Christ is right there and there's ministry one to another. And all of a sudden you've, you have entered into this divine fellowship that has power in it that's greater than 10,000 people in a room singing together because it was never about the physical expression. It was all about the divine fellowship and the togetherness because of the person that they've come to know. So to me, you know, those things are all right and they're all good, but they are to, they all point to the reason, which is the person that we're to come to know. So Beautiful. Other thoughts, guys? I, I, you know, I, I couldn't help but thinking, what's the difference between receiving um, a recipe and receiving the meal? And the one who's actually received the meal can tell you all about the meal. And I, you know, I, was, I was just, maybe because I cooked last night, but yeah, I could see a room of 10,000 people and someone standing up with a recipe book and telling everybody all about the recipe and everybody in the crowd pulling out their recipe books and looking through it going, yeah, man, yeah, this is amazing. And not one of them have actually eaten the meal. And the room of five. Man, you don't know what this is like when you, when you start to eat the meal and you start to eat a him and I can talk and tell you, man, you're telling me about put, putting chicken in the, in the pot. I'll tell you about the chicken, mate. And I've received him in me and I know and I've something that's of a substance to be able to share about who I've consumed and who I've eaten and it's actually forming something in me. And that this, this sense of a, there's a manifestation of actually having eaten of him. I was thinking before about <laughs> anyone that's got young kids and you've fed them up on carrots or, or pumpkin or know what happens if that's all you're feeding them. Why has that child gone orange? <laughs> you know, we, we thought we'd done something really bad to our kids. <laughs> you know? And it was like, you know, there's a manifestation of something that's actually taken place inside from having eaten and partaken. You can talk all about the carrot all you like, but ain't going to make you orange. It's not until you've actually consumed and you realize and you see, man, it is so important to be taken and receive Christ, not the information about him first. Otherwise, I can run around and now talk about the information about him, but I can't have a manifestation of a transformation of his life that's actually happening in me. And so when the issues of life take place, and you don't have to actually go out hunting them, they happen when the issues of life take place, I'll discover what you're... Man, when you're reading that stuff, I, was going, I just want to start bawling. 
because this this the substance of eternal life that trumps the issues that happen in the office or have happen in the street or happen at home or happen with my my house or whatever it is above that and this manifestation reveals it so I don't have to try and hunt the scripture to talk about what to do about it I know that there's a way to live that's actually above this and I can walk through that and I I know this, this change that is, I'm still growing in this, just like we all are. He takes us to another place to reveal more of the knowledge of him, which supplants and trumps what the issues are. Not try and learn up, but I'll know you, and that has this outcome. I mean, I know what those two worlds look like, and they are completely different in here. So I guess another way to say all this is, if he's first in us, he's defining everything. Yeah. So what if he's not first? Who is first? If he's not first in me, who is first? And what is that going to look like lived out? Yeah. I, if, if he's not defining you, everything else will. You know, the world will form you. Or, your, or yourself, just the God of yourself. Um, and... I loved that you read out the preeminence of Christ, you know, that everything was has been birthed in him, from him, and will to him. And I love, you know, with Paul, he said when, when Jesus first revealed himself to Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Yeah. It was that lordship that was first recognized for Paul, not just recognized but received Christ the Lord, you know, um, and you can see that through Paul's life, Christ defined everything. It follows on and says that he didn't go learn anything from flesh and blood. He didn't feel pressured to go to all the great apostles and learn from them, but he actually went away to a desert to really just receive from Christ and through the union of Christ being revealed in him. So anything other than that... Um, if, and if we're not won by Christ first and by the lordship of Christ, then it's the lordship of everything else, which probably comes from self, that defines our life. And we land up um, living lives. And having, I was having this really cool conversation with Amanda last night. We start living these lives that um, are empowered and motivated and defined and created by everyone else's thoughts and opinions and that can be caught up in vision, church vision, people, because we care more about what people think and more about causes than Christ himself. And we're putting more value on things outside of us than Christ within us, the hope of glory. Um, so, it, yeah, that's what, that's what happens if it's not him defining everything so first. Can we be a Christian and not have him as our first? I mean, I always thought that was impossible, <laughs> but yes, you can. You can, and you can see it. Yeah. So is it fair to say if Christ is not my first and I am my first, then I'm going to have idols in my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody want to? I can testify to this. Um, you guys feel free to align this as needed, but I... I know what it is to receive Christ in me 
and not yet know him as Lord. So it is possible to to actually have received the fullness of Christ and for them then him to have to um, break down self so that he can then be Lord. Um, it's funny, we're talking out of Colossians 1 because I'd say, but like your powerful passages, I have favourite scriptures all the time. <laughs> and Colossians 1 is my, my new favourite scripture. Um, So I know when I passed from death to life. I know exactly when that was. Um, And it didn't happen because somebody had told me what Jesus did on the cross. I had heard that, but that is not when I passed from death to life. It was in my lounge at home. And literally this... Yeah. So... When I received him, I received all of him, but the only thing that I had revealed in me was him as saviour. I knew what he had done, but I didn't know who he was. And lordship is about knowing who he is, and that's what I love about the scripture. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I just want you to listen to, to what Paul says here, because he... Listen to how much of this is about Christ as saviour and what he did versus how much is about what he is. So it says, He, the Father, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So I know the moment when that happened, darkness to light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But then listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in he himself so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether all things on heaven, in heaven or on earth. And it goes on. Um, so, although I'd received all of him, he hadn't yet revealed to me himself as Lord, who he really is. And in the same way that I couldn't reveal him as saviour in me, I couldn't reveal himself as Lord in me either. And the, the consequences of that is you establish yourself in that position. And so then you actually find yourself having idols in your life. You find yourself loving people and possessions more than him because he hasn't become your first. You might think he is, you might say he is, but your life is the evidence of your first. And so it's simple. People who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength don't love other people more than him. That's why he's telling you in Matthew 10, if you love others more than me, you're not worthy of me. So you can say he's Lord, but that doesn't really mean he is Lord. You can confess him as Lord, but it doesn't mean he is Lord. Do you live him as your first? Is it tangible? Can people see it? Can they touch it? Can they taste it? 
Because he then says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Now the challenge is you can even hear that and then try to think doing then creates lordship. No, because we've probably tried to do all that and we're still not under lordship. Because before it's a doing, it, 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 it's an is. And Paul shared this with you during the week. He said, love is. It doesn't say love does. So Christ is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's love. He's Lord. And so out of him being first just flows this expression of obedience. Because I'm in and under lordship. I'm not trying to be obedient. I'm not trying to do stuff. I'm just doing it because it's an expression of actually having him as Lord in my heart, my mind, soul, strength. Because I'm fully in love. And this is the challenge because this is where the heat goes on. But this is where the life is, you know, is that he says, unless you, how can I be your Lord unless I'm Lord of all? And unfortunately in the body, we've created a third position and we negotiate it. We try to work out our lordship, you know, so we say things like this. uh, Well, my finances are under your lordship, but in the areas of my relationships with other people, they're not. That's not lordship. Okay, that's the Lord of self still being Lord, trying to negotiate with the Lord. That is not lordship. Now that's in function. In fellowship, this is not lordship. God, you've got 90% of my heart, but 10% is still with my wife and my children. That's not lordship either. That's the Lord of you telling God how this is going down. Okay? So he has to be Lord of your entire heart. That's why he says, love me with all your heart, so I'm my strength. And I have to be Lord of your entire life. Outside of that, it's not lordship at all. So that's the standard of lordship. We can't achieve that in us, can we? No. So you can be saved but not be under that standard. And if I'm being 100% honest, a lot of the Christians I meet fall under that standard. And we negotiate. We're in this lordship where we go, I'll give you this, you give me that, I'll give you And it's this negotiation process. That is not lordship. He's lord of all or lord of nothing. And this is the power of what the gospel does. When we receive Christ in us through revelation of power, when you receive resurrection and life, the person, not the principle, you instantly come into this posture. Not because you've tried, the word has done the work. Otherwise, this is all a lie. This is all a lie. It's like, I need to play a part in here because you're not big enough, more powerful enough to do what you say you're going to do. So I've got to give you a hand, God, because you can't do what you say you're going to do. And that's called self-lordship because you're telling God who's Lord how it's going to roll. And it's all or nothing. And you can be saved because it's not that issue. It's a lordship issue. So then you have idols. Why did the rich young ruler have money as his main thing? Because he was still the lord of his own life. Okay, So it's not actually about his money. It's about lordship, that issue. So Jesus was addressing the lordship issue not a money issue. Now the challenge is, and here's the thing, if you know God, can money compete with God? No. So why is God having to compete 
with the young ruler's heart because he doesn't know him because he's not under lordship. Please tell me that God is not the most incredible being that is here. So how can any human being compete with God? How can any possession compete with the creator of this earth? So if he is, then I'm not under lordship. It's as simple as that. I'm not in and under lordship. So then I'm not in the life of lordship. Because all the life in Christ that's an internal, eternal life is connected to him as Lord, not him as Savior. And that's why we struggle to live this life on earth, because we're not in lordship. We need to receive the person in us, Lord and Savior. I am the resurrected life. So let me demonstrate what I am. Do you hear that? Let me demonstrate who I am. Well, that's the standard for you and I. He didn't say he was it, then couldn't do it. So if you're going to say it, you've got to be it. And I think, just in what you're saying, to me this is where the rubber hits the road, right? You know, because anyone can, can pick up the scriptures and even like, you know, what you were referencing before to say he's, it constantly says he's Lord and Savior. He's Lord and Savior. The disciples called him Lord, you know? And so it's like what's not on the stand is whether he's actually technically Lord. You know what I mean? The scriptures make it very clear that he is. But really the question of the gospel is he is Lord. Is he Lord to you? Do you know what I mean? And has his Lordship, you know, and, and you'll know whether he is Lord, not by what you say, by the way that you live, you know? And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say, right? And and to me, it can be like that in, in any environment, you know, like I, I feel like, so for example, you know, I've had a number of people say, you know, you're such a great teacher, you know? But then when we're in a conversation and there's something that I want to share to bring clarity, to maybe bring a different perspective, to say, actually, maybe the way that you're thinking or seeing things actually isn't bringing life, whether I'm a teacher or that's where the, the, the question of whether I'm actually a teacher or not hits the road, right? Because you can profess that I am, but unless I am to you, it's actually of absolutely no value to you whatsoever. And actually the fact that you're acknowledging me with your mouth is in a worse position than if you were to just say, actually, you're not. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and so I may or may not be a teacher, but the issue is at hand is not whether I technically am. The issue is, are you able to be taught? And so to me, this is the issue of lordship, right? He is Lord. But actually if you confess him as Lord but don't do what you say... Him being Lord is of absolutely no value to you whatsoever. In fact, you're in a completely worse position because you're like the Israelites all throughout the, the Old Testament. And he says, you're, you know, my name is blasphemed throughout all the nations because of you, because you profess that I'm something to you, but your lives don't demonstrate. And actually, that, that's really the reality of what the world looks at. And when they see the church, these people who are supposed to be the expression of God and the demonstration of God on the earth, the demonstration of God who is love, and yet are just as selfish, just as hypocritical as everyone else, actually that, there's a form of 
that what you're professing and what you're living is different and it does more harm than good. And yet, we at the church, I've been thinking about this this week, it says is to be the pillar and support of the truth. We're to be the demonstration and the very expression of, of who Christ is on the earth, not just in profession, but in demonstration of our lives. We're to be those who the world aren't to demonstrate the Lordship of Christ. It's to be the church who are the ones who have received him in them in substance that are to be the representation of who he is on the, on the earth. And so to me, where the rubber hits the road is not on our words, it's in the way that we live, you know. And so we've, we've been preserved as his ruminant people to make this demonstration in this particular moment in history, but we'll never be able to unless actually we know him not just as saviour, but as Lord so that our lives are the expression of, of who he truly is, hey, you know. That's absolutely right. And, you know, when it talks about blasphemy, it's like blasphemy isn't about using God's name with a swear word, right? It says don't use my name in vain, which actually means don't use my name without any, yeah, carelessness, but, but without any true knowledge of actually who I am because then you're just saying things, but you actually don't have the substance of who I am, so don't even say my name. To say my name and not know me or to use it as something that's got no power to you in a personal way or is not manifesting anything it's like don't say it you know and thinking about Passover um and how you know the lamb they would use the lamb the the lamb and sacrifice the animal and you could sacrifice the animal but it wasn't if it was if you didn't put the blood on your door by faith believing that the blood of the lamb was going to save you it actually made the lamb valueless, like it actually had no point, you know. And I, th- I think it's the same with Christ. It's like if we don't know him as the personal Passover where he has overcome us and enveloped us from the inside out, then we we can celebrate Passover, but we're not becoming Passover. And Paul, Paul says, you know, Christ, our Passover lamb. And again, I just... I, just with what you're saying, um, Sam, you know about we can we can call you teacher, but unless unless we receive you as teacher and we are teachable, and and you can tell, hey, it's like, am I teachable? Because it's almost like how I respond to you is actually how I see you. You know what I mean? So I'll be teachable if I actually believe that you're teacher. You know, but I can say that, but not be teachable. You know, and I was reading in the scriptures this week about, um, you know, it says that um, the the glory of a woman is man and the glory of man is God. And man was not made for woman, woman was made for man. Right? <laughs> and yet it says, but man comes through woman. And I thought, wow, isn't that the glory and the beauty of lordship? That actually to, to, to know lordship and to live in lordship, that is actually the beauty and the glory of how things are revealed through your life. So, for instance, um, if, you, if you take a marriage, you know, and it's like um, God, uh, man is the glo- uh, God is the glory of man, right? And you see man coming like God created man. 
out of man, woman came, you know, and so the glory of woman is man. But you need a woman to reveal man. So just as Mary was overshadowed by the Spirit under the lordship of the angel coming and saying, you're going to have a son, the obedience, the submission to come under the overwhelming presence of the Spirit actually birthed something in her concealed and to be revealed. And so that's what you see when there is lordship and oneness within relationships and with Christ it, it actually gives the full opportunity and potential for the very thing that's been received to be revealed. And as we know, the church, like it says, Christ is the firstborn and the church is the first fruit. So the church that's submitted to the Lord, who knows her Lord as the head, actually has the full opportunity on the earth for now to reveal Christ through her right? It's being pregnant with the seed of the groom. It's being pregnant with the seed of the king that as, as his people to know lordship and to have him truly as lord, we get to carry him and release him and be a pillar of truth where it's now we are of him, we've come from him and we now stand with him and represent him as one. So lordship, the beauty and the glory of it is that we actually get to reveal the Christ, but through lordship and coming from him. Mm. I think this is a challenge, isn't it? Because you see them walk with him, and he asks the question that Sam's asking, who do you say I am? And they all give the answers of the people. Who do the people say? And then he says, who do you say? And we see Peter give, let's say, the, the right answer. You know, Because anyone can answer the right answer, yeah, but not be in the reality of the answer. And this is what they aren't. So you're the Messiah. Okay, how did you get that? Like this is real deep what I'm about to say. How did you get that? How do you know that I'm the Messiah? The Father revealed it within him, correct? So the Father revealed it to Peter that he was the Messiah. Did that revelation prevent Peter from denying the Christ? Because why? What was Peter? Still the Lord of his own life. So you can get revelation and still be the Lord of your own life. And when true lordship is called for, you can't live it. Because you're not in it. Man, that's deep, eh? So you need to know that you're in lordship. Because there's a life that's on the other side of lordship, that's not in being saved. And Jesus was walking with them, wasn't he? And he was going to get them, and he got them into lordship, didn't he? Who got them into lordship? Through their crucifixion, death. He was drawing them into true lordship with himself. And along the way, they're fighting, kicking, splurting. It sounds a little bit like the Israelites before. Sounds a bit like us. And when you just relinquish, so it's one thing to say it, it's even one thing to have a revelation, it's another thing to live it. And it sort of goes along with this question I want to ask these guys, what is the difference between receiving Jesus himself in you and saying yes to what Jesus did on the cross? What is the difference between receiving Jesus, that I am the resurrection and the life in you, and saying yes to what he did on the cross. 
the ability to live as he is, to receive him and not just speak about what he did, but to actually demonstrate who he is. So, you know, we, we are to become partakers of the divine nature of God and then we're to release this fragrance of Christ, but you can only release the fragrance of Christ if Christ is actually in me releasing that fragrance. And, um, and that, is, that it is a huge difference. And I, I don't know if we... Like, I, I just feel a real heaviness of, of, not like heavy burden, but a weightiness of what has actually been um, declared and spoken uh, this morning. To have to hear that and go, Lord, what are, you, what are you saying to me? How am I hearing what is being said this morning? That I could, that I could receive this word, that it is Christ in me, is the hope of glory, not not the information about Christ to me. Well, where am I that I'm standing before you? Am I, do I know your life in me? And it's funny you're talking about the Old Testament because when I look at those questions, it took me straight back into the Old Testament and the, the lamb, you know, what, what part of getting out of Egypt was their righteousness that got them out? Well, actually, nothing, because they were busy moaning and grumbling. Understandably, they have been slavery for a long time, but you know what I mean? It wasn't, wasn't how righteous they were living got them out. The one thing they had to do was, the one thing they had to do, put the blood over on the doorpost, come under the blood covering. And just while you were speaking, Mal, I, I realised, you know what they did? He is their Passover lamb. They actually had to partake of the Passover lamb. They had to actually consume it. We have to partake of the Passover lamb. We come under his covering. So they all came under his covering. How many were saved out of Egypt? All of them. All that came out. Even there's a funny word that the Old Testament used, talks about rabble. It was like those who were not Hebrews that came along with them as well. So all those that came out, I know, they came out. They were saved out of Egypt. How many entered into the promised land? How many entered into their inheritance? Two of the, those who are 20 and over. In fact, not even Moses, although Moses did when you read about that in the New Testament. Man, they were all under the covering, but you know, not discounting, but understand about the children, those who are under 20, but of all those that came out, only two entered into their inheritance. Man, that was arresting me. I was reading that and looking, going, Lord, what are you saying? What are you talking about that I, that I would know you? And it talks about when they went and they sent the spies and God instructed them, go in, come back. And out of those two, Joshua says that Moses gives him a new name. His name, Joshua's name was Salvation. Moses changes it to Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. It's not you. It's God who's doing this work. He needed to be Lord. And Caleb, it says of Caleb, he has a different spirit to the others. And the others weren't able to enter into the inheritance, their inheritance, and live all that he had promised for them. And I looked at that for me and for, for, for my walk with him. What have I not been able to do to enter into the inheritance that you have for me now, that I might walk as you walk now, and that's the knowledge of you, of lordship over my life. So what we're saying is, unless you have 
If you mentally make a decision based on words, you're not able to access and possess the reality that's in the Christ, which is your inheritance. Yeah, they didn't have the substance in them to actually go and do what only two did. Had the, and it showed up. They didn't have to talk about what they could do. They did what they could do. Yeah. While being justified. So we fast forward that reality into ours, because that's what you're reading there is all a foreshadowing of a substance, which is for today. You know, so it's real in their time, but we're not called to go and grab physical lands. Like we're not going to Australia and taking over that. Um, you wouldn't want to be there at the moment anyway, would you? But, but it's a spiritual dimension. It's a spiritual reality. So one who just hears words coming from the front and makes a mental agreement with what is true does not mean that what has been spoken has entered into and then allows you to actually then enter into what you've heard and possess, because they had to lay hold of everything in the land, didn't they? It wasn't just entering the land, they actually then had to possess what was in the land, and God said, I've actually cleaned the way, even though the bad guys are there. So even though they're there, you still got to lay hold of everything, which we know now is within him. But if your starting position is just a mental agreement with words, you're justified, but you haven't really yet started the entering into process to lay hold of the possession because you lack power. You've just said yes. So it's true, it's right, you're justified, but you're not going to be able to lay hold of because ultimately you're you're still striving to lay hold of something in your own strength. And I think that they really are worlds apart, eh? you know, and, and I just think of, like, I'm, I'm so thankful that I heard the, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection as a young teenager. So we're not, we're not saying that, that, isn't, that there isn't any value in that, but I think, you know, you can hear the message of what Jesus did for you on the cross and respond in so many different ways. You know, you can be, um, you can be encouraged inspired, excited, you can come along here and have all of those same reactions to, to what it is that you're hearing. You know, it, it can be a really uplifting day and you can walk away feeling really encouraged. You can think it might sound a bit harsh and walk away feeling a little bit stink, you know. Those are all natural reactions to a mental, you know, an, an intellectual message that's come about what Jesus has done for you, you know. And so what we're talking about is actually receiving him is not like that at all, you know. is that you can hear the message of what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that's a good thing. But receiving the person of Christ is the only thing that changes you on the inside so that you can be encouraged but not changed, you know. And that's why it's not about good messages. It's not, and Paul says, my, my message and my preaching weren't in persuasive words of wisdom because if I came and I persuaded you, I might actually make void the power of the gospel and the power of the cross because, it was, because the gospel could stay just in your intellect and you could agree mentally to what he said and you might even go away and study historically. And if you study historically, you'll find that the, that the death and resurrection of Jesus was a historical event. And you'll find that everything leading up to that historical event was absolutely incredible. But you won't have the power and life of the 
the of the crucified Christ within you that empowers and enables you to actually live as he lives. And to me that that's the kicker. It's not that it's wrong, it's just that it that it doesn't have the power and the ability to produce in you an eternal life that comes from having received what did, what did you read before I am the resurrection and the life. You know, you can receive the message of but not receive the person which has the power to be able to live this resurrected life while you still breathe. And so to me, that, that's what we have to wrestle with, and that's what we have to enter into. And I think that's what I hear you describing, Paul, you know, is that many people received enough for salvation. They received the blood of the Lamb on the door frames of their houses. They walked through the Red Sea that literally opened up them. Oh, to me, that's like the, one of the most incredible miracles, how an entire sea can part its way for them. They were sustained through the wilderness from physical bread, manna that was falling from heaven, and yet they were found without the capacity in them to enter into the promised land. And so to me, that, that's what we need to wrestle with, that we can receive this message of salvation, but we need to receive the substance of the gospel in us, which is the only thing that changes us on the inside and the only thing that brings us into the true rest that's prophesied in Hebrews that actually changes us on the inside. And so it's absolutely right to hear the message of what Jesus did for us but he wants to reproduce the reality and the substance of who he is within us. And that's what you receive when you receive the person, you know. So. And I think particularly when often that message you've been told, it just sells Christ so short mm-hmm. in terms of the thing Christ did for you, he did on this one day. And it means that first bit, right, he rescued you from dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. Like that just sells him and us so short because as we're talking about he is he's done more way than way more than that but he is way more than that and so it's I think it's just so sad if we think that it is about here's one day in history um sitting with him it's like if when I died the only thing my kid said about me is one day she gave birth to me and that was awesome because if she hadn't given birth to me I wouldn't be alive the church was born on the cross but how gushing and it's not because I'd want my kids to say and here's then she did all this other stuff for me and that's why she's my mum you know it would be gutting because I would want them to know who I was and this is this fellowship this oneness right I want you to know me and be with me I think the challenge is eh, is the tension between wood and the person that was nailed to the wood and so often I think when we hear the cross, we can think yeah. the wood mm. and not the person. So it's not the wood that saves you. This is wood. Mm. And, and it's not just that day, right? Yeah, because, because you, you might not even know what he did. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's not necessarily what he's done that saves you because you don't even know what he's done. You only have a mental agreement, but you don't have a living reality of what he did. So he's done it, but you don't even know what he's done in a way that's in you because you haven't yet received the person because it's when you receive the person, that's what Paul's saying, is that the gospel, the story, was only made known through revelation of a person. And even your analogy could be a little bit flawed because it's like like saying where the children didn't know the bed 
that they, you were, they got born on. The bed can be the cross, and you're the Christ giving birth to a child, but the person doesn't even know their mother. Do you know what I mean? It's like if you don't hang around, all they know is the bed. This is the bed where I was born, but it's just a bed. So it's not the reality of the life. And I think this is, this is our greatest challenge because you can't know the Christ unless the Christ is revealing himself in you. That's the important to my point, what we're saying. But you can know the story about what he did. And that might be all you know. But that's not in you. So you've got a nice story, but you've got no real testimony. And it says it's the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. It's what he's done in you is the place of what you testify. So when the Christ enters in you, you live. You can't live by what he's done if that's outside of you. As good as it is, and as much as you say yes to it, you can't live what we're talking about. You haven't yet, Christ hasn't entered into you in a way that you can live a Christ-like life. So what we're left with is a message and then we're trying to live out every instruction that we're called to through our own power. That's legalism. That's not Christianity. That's the complete opposite. And unfortunately, this is what happens if a whole mass of people called Christians start living like this, you get churches that live like this. And so... What becomes the first place position in every church becomes their mandate, their mission, their vision, their purpose. What we're going to do, not Christ. Well, that's going to continue religious traditions and practice and legalistic works because we haven't yet known him. And a church that knows him doesn't have to have a mandate and a vision and a purpose because a church that knows him will automatically live out all that. So we don't have to have that because through the resurrection of the person and the life, we'll know how to live that out. So we never have to have a purpose as our first because we'll know what it is because it's all contained within the person. And so that's the evidence, see? it's The evidence is right in front of you, so you have to be so careful what you're going to place yourself under because it's very easy to place yourself in under just this round-the-mountain thing and never actually enter into the life of Christ because it's still outside of you. Even though you're doing these works for Christ and these mandates and all this stuff, you're still empty. And unfortunately, that is very prevalent on the earth. And so it's critical. So yeah, yeah, Holy Spirit has to show you the difference between... <laughs> Receiving the Christ and the message of the cross. He has to show you and he has to impart it into you what it is to know the resurrected life. Because as he was, he lived. He wasn't trying to prophesy something he wasn't. He wasn't proclaiming something he wasn't. That's why we're not to, if you can hear what I'm saying. You can't presume to speak of a reality you do not yet know. It's a promise for you, waiting to you, for you to enter into through revelation, but you don't start speaking over and over and over and over and over, then hoping, I'm going to come into the promise. When you receive the promise, you live the promise, 
your life reflects the promise. So if someone says to you, tell me what it is to be seated in heavenly places, you can tell them because you're seated in heavenly places. If you presume to speak of that and someone asks you the question and you can't release Christ, then you're just empty words, isn't it? Which is the challenge because that's why the words are full of fluff. Even though they're technically true, it's actually not your reality. And that's where the hypocrisy is because what you say you are and in, you can't live. So there's a gap between what you say and what you live. That wasn't in him. What he was, he lived. Oneness. And so we all need time and to be given time to find that. So then when we go, which is a continuous process, what comes out of you is what you say is, which is him. Which is way more than just saying yes to what he did. As good as that is. Questions, guys? I'm sure there must be some questions rattling. <laughs> good. Hold on, mate. Hold on. I guess we're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, because really he is a central person. And even if we have just prayed the prayer initially and asked Jesus Christ into our life, then you have part of that revelation, in you? Uh, but the revelation, uh, I sort of think that the revelation of Jesus Christ is a continual thing. And um, even when you look in heaven, uh, and the example that we've been given in heaven of the 12 or the 24 elders, you know, how they are still receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ in heaven and they're falling down on their faces. So for us, we'll be always, um, I guess, glorifying in Jesus because we get another piece of the revelation. Uh, that's all I was wondering. question I have in relation to that is, do we think we can pray a prayer and not receive being born again? So you, the challenge is no one knows who's really born again. God does, yeah? So I guess what I'm saying is, is it fully possible to actually acknowledge what Jesus has done on the cross, but not actually have Christ through power, enter into you. And it's also possible too. Yeah? So what we're saying is it's fully possible to say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sin and iniquity, and I receive him. But not receive anything of power within you to receive a revelation of him. It may happen through that or it may not. And it may just happen through not saying words. So I receive revelation without saying any words. So the challenge is... I say yes to what Terry said, but possibly not. Because obviously, and we see in the scriptures, that people believe in Jesus without receiving the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Because the Spirit hadn't been poured out, but they believed. And you see that in Acts. Hey, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been born again? What are you talking about? What repentance did you receive? Oh, baptism in water. John's Baptist, sin and iniquity. So you can actually go through that process and not have received the Spirit of God through the power of God, revelation. Which means so it's fully possible. So we have to know, don't we? 
Like we, we can't base this on a technical informational head knowledge. It has to be our living reality. So you know if you've received Jesus Christ within you. Okay? You know that. I know that through experience. Not through reading a book. Through experience. So then that experience, and that's what Terry's saying, has to then continue. So it's got to be ongoing revelations of the person the way it started. In. So I have a reference point for Jesus in. Not because man taught it, not because I received it from man, not because I heard some guy with great words at the front, not through song, through him himself. Full stop. And I think, you know, if, if we have received him in us and and that measure of him and us is, is growing, then there will be fruit attached to, to having received him. You know, it's like, and I think to me that, that that's what I hear describing. You know, it's to say, if we've received him in us, there needs to be a demonstration through our lives that we've received him. Because if there isn't, to me, that's, the quest, that, that's when the question comes, did we receive him? Or did we receive the the gospel in the way that it was intended, you know, which wasn't in word only, but in power, you know? Because if a baby's born and and it's not hungry and it's not showing any signs of talking, if there's no signs of life, that's concerning, right? You know? And so to me, when we receive him in us, there should be the fruit of his life in us that's demonstrated through us that we know and that even those around us should be able to give testimony to the the, the fruit of of love being formed in us of, of a joy and a peace and a hope these things aren't separate things that we've received they're the fruit of a person in us and so there needs there, if we've received him in the way that we've been describing there will be evidence in our lives of internal change that that's different to how we were before you know you know, and if it, if it's if like if it's, if it's not possible to to be in that position, then why is it that Paul says to us, "Don't look, take heed of the Israelites. Don't be like them, who through unbelief couldn't enter into, though being saved out of Egypt, couldn't enter into the inheritance." Well, that's a warning for me. I need to take care. Well, what is it that you're saying? If I can't enter, if I don't know this this fruit of righteousness that you talk about, you know, the fruit of the life of him in me, I can talk about it, I can read about it, I can point it, I could speak about it, but one thing I know is happening within me is I can't live it. I don't have that peace. What is it that needs to take place? Something inside of me needs to actually enter, or somebody needs to enter into me that actually gives and brings the fruit of righteousness, the righteous one. And that can only come if Lord Paul is dealt with. You know, and it comes through the death of my own self-will, which only comes through the knowledge of him. Why would I want to surrender my life to somebody I don't know? I need somebody far more powerful, far more greater, far more gracious, far more loving. Who could that possibly be? but the one who actually made me for a relationship with him, to know him, than to lose my own will and receive him. Now the evidence will be the fruit of righteousness through the ongoing knowledge of him. Yeah, I love that, Paul. And, you know, I can really testify to that in, 
in the encounter with Christ that I had as a personal Passover, as my personal Passover. And, you know, just if I look back and, and thinking about how such a private and personal encounter with Christ where um, he overcame me and came into me, but then how the the taste of him and just what was received, he spoke to me about finding his people on, on the earth, which looked like the church. And but but then going through the doors and again just just the overwhelming presence of who he was saying, your home, not necessarily to a building, but to this new life in him and what what he was calling me into. Yet my natural man was still trying to catch up with what was the internal reality that was going on. So the questions that I was coming up with when I would sit down with the pastor, because I had a million questions, but the questions were all now coming from the natural man trying to understand what it means to be a Christian, from what it, it sort of physically, physically understood. So one of the things was like, you know, does money now have to be like... Okay, so my actual question was like, do I have to be poor to be holy? Now, I know that sounds really like, oh, my goodness, the vanity or the, you know. But that was a legit question because that was a natural man's understanding of, oh, the church, you know, it's you can't be about money and you can't be, you know, there's this natural man's understanding of what church life is or what it means to be a Christian. And so I was having a 100 questions powering away, trying to understand this new, yet the reality of Christ within me um, (laughs) was now giving me such a thirst for righteousness to know this person that's trumped me, you know, love enveloping me, that, that it was almost like my it was it was the Paul and Saul, you know. It's like the, there was this male that was innate. I was being loved into being as I truly was. The life that was always concealed in Christ was was starting to be revealed within me, and and the the thirst and hunger for the righteousness in the private was gaining momentum, and yet the physical reality around me was still asking very natural man questions, trying to grasp. And I think. I even want to just say today to us as a family, guys, don't partake and participate in the programs, the external things that The Rock does and think that that's eating and drinking and, and being one with this family. It's not. Hear the heartbeat of the body, which is the body of Christ. We, we, when we call ourselves a body, we're not just saying we're people that come together in the physical. We're saying we're the body of Christ. We're, we are people that are we have been birthed and have come from him and are being nourished by his very life, his flesh and his blood. That is what we, um, that is the signs of life. That's the signs of life we're looking for. We're not looking for you to all come and show up and attend and fill seats. We're not interested in that at all. We're interested in the signs of life, of Christ's life being birthed through you and through us and all of us. So questions that can come out and of the natural understanding is fine. I'm not saying we, we don't uh, go there and we don't despise those questions. Um, but I think what, you're, what I'm hearing you say as well, Sam, you know, the fruit of Christ's life, the signs of life, that's what we're looking. That's 
that's what we're... Oh, I just want to make sure I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying... Yeah, that's what we're believing for. That's, that's our, our true hope and yearning for is that we're going to become a people that have Christ formed in us and we're showing the signs of and the marks of Christ's life through our earthly lives while we have breath. Um, but we're, we're so not interested in having a full house and attendance and thinking that participating in Christianity and church life is, is that. I just want to leave you, and it's what Mel was saying, and I'm hoping you're hearing, because it's about your first, yeah? In the beginning is who in you. Because it's this is where it, it is. And, you know, Sam said where the rubber meets the road, really what it is, it's where flesh comes to its end. So it's death to flesh. So I'm hoping what you're hearing is there's a beginning that needs to be all of our beginning. And if it is, then life in him starts. If you're still the Lord of you, even though you're saved, you're the beginning. And so what we're discussing will be outside of your reality, and that's okay, yeah? Because we're a family moving together. This is what Mel was describing. We're not interested in services and things and function. We're a family. We want to be a family who gather to love the God we know and to come into all we are in God so then we can live a godly life. That's what the heartbeat of us is, you know. We want to be family. But to be this family in completion and be perfect, it is every single one of us must come into in the beginning is Christ, through Christ himself, yeah? And that's what I'm hoping you're hearing is, is that, and so go away and, and just ask and, you know, and your life will tell you, and don't be afraid of what your life tells you, because God is here, meaning in your life, to do this work, to do what you can't do, you know? And it's not... You're not bad. You're in progress, you know. But the challenge is, is that the Lord of self isn't to be. It's not the Lord of self and the Lord. Okay? You're still the Lord of self. He's not Lord to you. So until the Lord of self is killed... He's not your Lord. He's your Savior. But He's only your Lord in words. Your actions need to show Lordship. And that's where, not so much the rubber meets the road, but where the flesh meets Him. <laughs> and let Him crucify and pray and ask and seek and knock until that depth of that work is done within you and frees you from Lordship of self to Lordship. And I'm telling you right now, everything, everything, and what you're enabled to do changes like that. The struggles, the hardships, you're like, consider it all joy 
because what now and who now to that measure is in you and you're not there? The whole entire thing is completely seen differently. Completely. What looks like bad is good. What looks like death is life. Like you embrace trials. <laughs> I'm not saying you go around saying, give me trial, give me trial, give me trial. But when they turn up, like it says in James, you embrace them. Not because of you, because of Christ in you. Because you have a substance and a capacity because the Christ is there to love on whatever that is. To maintain and to grow this family, this oneness. Amen.